Friday contract. So this is the second day of contracts. Uh, it's been quite interesting so far. Uh, one thing to note about contracts before I get into the two cases that I'm going to discuss today is that these are not landmark cases. So there are a lot of cases that illustrate the broader principle or the rule that we're going to try and outline. But this, uh, these are the two cases we were handpicked to read. And the goal is to try and draw out the rule uh, rather than the cases that we are uh, looking at. So with that said, the purpose of reviewing these two cases to see, is to see how the rule has changed over time, or really how contracts has progressed throughout history. Uh, with that said, uh, let's go into our two cases. So we have Allen v. Bissinger & Co. So Allen was part of a commission to prepare a report, and this was in 1918. The case was decided in 1923, but it was there to prepare a report and he sent out a letter asking if anybody was interested in purchasing the report well and Bissinger and co responded saying yes we would be interested in the report please put our name down for an order so they did and alan responded with the receipt saying thank you for your order we'll make sure to have a record of the proceedings sent to you uh, when they are made available well Alan did exactly as he said he would. He prepared the proceedings, and he sent out the report. The problem was is that uh, Brissinger, Bissinger, not Aragon, Bissinger uh, underestimated how many, how long the report was going to be. And he probably assumed that it was 20, 25 pages long of the proceedings, a summary, you could so speak. But instead, he received in total over 8,000 pages of documents. And he responded saying, we don't want this. <laughs> we have no use for it. It's too much. And there's no way that we can make any application. So we will cancel our order and return these to you. And what ended up happening is that Alan said we can't cancel it. Well, we can cancel the order for future publications, but you have to keep what we kept you gave you and here's the bill for it so bissinger was obviously disgruntled they didn't want to pay that fee that was given and they argued that they didn't enter into an agreement and so this went into the court and what did the court say well the court said that they did enter into an agreement why because they asked for the report to be sent. They expected to receive the report. Now, they didn't intend to receive a whole lot of the report. They didn't expect 8,000 volumes. So their intention was not to receive the full copy of the report. Uh, that's not what they were expecting. But they did sign to agree for the report. So thus, they were bound by the agreement. They said yes. They could also argue that the price was not set in the original advertisement. However, they can't argue that because they were told that the price would be given as a part of it. And since they agreed to that, then they, in essence, agreed to the price. Okay, so that's the first case, 1923. All of this was handwritten, sent from New York City to Salt Lake City. It probably took a while for people to get mail. That's just an assumption. Okay, second case that we want to review is Meyer v. Uber Technologies. 
So Meyer is the plaintiff and Uber is the defendant. In the trial court, Meyer won and so Uber appealed. Let's talk about the cases. So Meyer downloaded the Uber app, set up an account, and he used it about 10 times. Um, but he was frustrated that third-party drivers could set their own prices. That sentence right there is not relevant to the principle that we're going to try and outline. So he decided to sue Uber. Uber filed for a motion to dismiss because he had agreed to the arbitration clause, which means that he couldn't sue Uber. He had to abide by the arbitration clause. However, and the trial court agreed, saying that uh, Meyer was not aware of the contract or the terms and conditions. Um, he did not know that the buttons were on the registration screen. Okay, so the analysis for this was quite extensive. The court broke it into two parts. The first part is to research the applicable law, and the second part was to apply the applicable law. Okay, so for researching the law, there's uh, if you were to look at the... This might be a little confusing for me, but I'll try my best to keep it as good and concise as possible. But the Uber button did not have a button. It just said it had a caption saying, here are the terms and conditions. By creating an Uber account, you agree to the terms and conditions. Uh, he did not have to click a box saying he read the Uber terms and conditions. Uh, he didn't have to scroll through it uh, to agree to it. And so he argued that he was not aware of it and he could not agree because there is not proper and sufficient notice. The court says that here, web-based contracts are fine. Uh, there's nothing quite so offensive about it. Uh, this is different because you don't click on a box to agree. Instead, you just agree by creating your account. They do give an interesting um, analogy that I found quite intriguing. They say, clicking a hyperlinked phrase is the 21st century equivalent of turning over a cruise ticket. In both cases, the consumer is prompted to examine the terms of the cell that are located somewhere else. So the links were being hype, um, hyperlinked. And the court argued because the screen was uncluttered, uh, they were prompted to agree, and they were properly informed. Uh, a reasonable person, a reasonable iPhone user, would see this as a contract. So additionally, and the fact that both the, the button creates both an account and agrees to the agreement, the court says that that's not an issue. Uh, because the text underneath the hyperlinks clearly state the purpose of the button. Uh, why do we care about this case? Well, we see that Meyer was online while Alan was in person, so we see the big change of history and time from 1923 to 2017. We do a lot of agreements online, uh, and we are not very well informed of the agreements, and we should be informed of the agreements. So, yes, it, it's interesting. My professor said that it's wrong that we agree like this and so it makes me wonder why the courts say that this is fine that's an answer 
that's a question I don't have the answer to. And hopefully we'll learn the answer to in future cases. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.